<laughs> I was sitting in the back there going, yeah, come on, come on, give me the pulpit. I got to go, I got to go, got to go. Are Mark and Sarah Vischer here? There they are. Sinfully, they have left the house of God. But God in his redemptive love has moved them to a new church. And so I want to pray for you guys. Come on up here before we get rolling. And uh, I'm kidding about sinfully, by the way. They've moved to Wildwood, and uh, they're making a transition there. And we just are very grateful for them and their family. We want to pray a blessing upon them as they move uh, forward in faith and uh, hunting season and all kinds of things. And uh, God bless you guys. Just come. Where are you going? Don't be, don't be divided. I know. Can you guys see him online? No, come up here. You got to come up here. Yeah. Sorry. So you guys are uh, checking out a church, I think, in Drayton Valley, right? Yeah. Life yeah. Church. Life Church in Drayton Valley. Not that we're plugging Life Church in Drayton Valley, but God bless you, Life Church in Drayton Valley. You are getting some amazing uh, people who love the Lord and who love one another. And so we just want to pray a blessing on you guys, eh? So thankful for you, your friendship, and for the years of fellowship. Uh, I've known Mark here uh, since he was a lippy teenager in my house taking discipleship school, but uh, has grown into a great man of God, and Sarah's just an incredible partner for him. Amen? Can you extend your hand toward these guys? So thankful for you guys. And uh, we are going to miss you, but we're sowing you like great seeds into this work. Why don't you extend your hands toward them? Father God, thank you for the Vishers, Lord. I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you for the man of God that Mark has turned to be, Lord. I bless him with wisdom. I bless him with understanding. I bless him with favor. Lord, thank you for Sarah, Lord, just her heart to love you, love her kids, love her family, love uh, the community that she's part of, Lord. I pray that you will sow them as amazing seeds uh, into the community of Wildwood, uh, area, Father God, that they live in, but also into Drayton Valley. I pray, Father, that they will be a blessing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Why don't you give these guys a hand? Amen? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Love you, and we're going to miss you. And, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to see you. Amen? Yeah, that's, there it is right there. I just was sowing a seed. Uh, you know, God is good. Um, we had a garage sale. <laughs> Pray for people that have garage sales. God bless you, all of you garage sale people. But my sister-in-law had a table in her basement. She said, just donate it to walk for water. So we sold it for 300 bucks. So that goes into walk for water. So we are $300 closer before we even give an offering. Hallelujah. Amen. So God is good in all those things. Well, what are, you, uh, what are we going today? Where are we going today? I really wanted to uh, tell Pastor Peter as I was prepping this message, I said, uh, Peter, get the message out, get the word out that our people need to either watch online or be present today because we're setting up a sermon series that's very, very critical that all of us hear where we're going and why we're going there. You know, it's a little bit of a different series. I want to kind of start it off by something that I did at our Servant Leaders Night and kind of setting up where we're heading as this next season. And so at Servant Leaders Night, I gave us a scripture from Jeremiah 6.16. This is what it was. This is what the Lord says. 
Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. So that scripture really at Servant Leaders Night, what I shared was this is our time in history and I think every generation kind of faces these moments in history where we're standing at a crossroads and we're seeing a crossroads in our lives and a crossroads in our culture and a crossroads in our world. And God is saying to believers, as he said back in Jeremiah's time, you stand in the crossroads and you look. And that's what I've been doing. I've been standing for the last two years looking and, and asking two very interesting questions. To me, they're interesting anyway. Those questions are this, God, what are you doing? It wasn't an angry, God, what are you doing? It was a, God, what are you doing? Because how many of you know God is never caught off guard? Nothing. Nothing escapes his sight. Nothing escapes his vision. Nothing escapes, nothing's happening that God is not aware of. God did not see coming. Nothing catches him off guard. So that's been my primary question. And, 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 and you know I've said this multiple times, and I'm going to say it again because I believe it's what God is doing. God is shaking anything that can be shaken and is establishing that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. And so those areas of my life and those areas of your life uh, that are shaking right now, as we live in a world that is shaking and everything is shaking still in our world, uh, God is saying, I'm establishing my kingdom in the midst of that. And so that's what I believe is happening. And all, ultimately, I think God is shaking us and our nation to the core. And I'm going to just tell you what I think it is. He is dealing with our illusion of control. Just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> you are not in control. You never were. <laughs> and so I think the Holy Spirit is kind of shaking and letting us know that. I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is not going to be, are you going to love me at the end of the sermon? I just need to know that. Okay, okay. Our answer is not going to be in a political party. Our answer is not going to be in the West separating. Our answer is not going to be in science. Our answer is not going to be in higher education. Our answer is not going to be in global enlightenment and the power of mankind. Stand at the crossroad and ask. Ask. Ask for what? The ancient pathway. What is God doing in the church today? See, what God is doing in the church today in the midst of everything shaking, and by the way, you're not immune, church, from the shaking because there are some things within church life and within Christianity and within Christians individually that need to be shaken out of them. Just saying. So 
what's God doing? He's saying to the church, ask for the ancient path, the good way, and walk in it. Well, the ancient path, if you're going to understand where the church is going, that's been my question. God, where is the church going? Where is the church going? God kept saying to me, you got to look back if you're going to see forward. And what we have to look back and see is that God is calling the church to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the ancient path. That is the good way. Where Jesus Christ is not only Savior, but now He is Lord. And God is calling the church to a place of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Not the Lordship of a pastor. Not the Lordship or control of a person. But the Lordship of Jesus. Walking with you and walking with me. And you say to yourself, well, isn't that what we're already doing? Aren't we all disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm going to just let us look at what Jesus thinks being a disciple is today. Is that fair? Well, fair or not, it's where I'm going, so I I just plead with you to stay online. I'm probably going to say something to offend you. Stay there. Don't leave yet. Fair enough? Help, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, above all things today, I pray for eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that receive and respond to you. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better and to know the hope to which you have called us in Christ Jesus, the incomparably great power waiting for us who believe in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, so... If the ancient path is discipleship, and Jesus is saying, ask it for it, walk in it, then what is that? What is Jesus meaning by that? And here's just four quick thoughts as to what Jesus is saying. Disciples of Jesus love what he loves. That's just number one. The very first thing, the very first question Jesus asks in Scripture, and by the way, it's the first question that's asked in the book that you're going to be doing if you're joining us, and I pray to God you will. By the end of this sermon, you're really going to buy every book out in the place. I I believe that. He asks a very pointed question. It's the very first question in Scripture that Jesus asks of his disciples. Here's the Scripture found in John chapter 1, verse 35 to 38. Let me read it. Again, the next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? See, this is the primary question of discipleship, church. What do you want? What do you want in your following of me? What are you looking for? And it's interesting, in that moment, in the Greek language, it means Jesus immediately turned on them. And you know, when Jesus turns on you and says something to you that startles you, um, how many of you know suddenly truth is apparent in you? And so this is what Jesus is asking. He's saying, what are you seeking? It's a powerful word. What are you wanting? What are you desiring? What are you longing for? What are you ultimately worshiping? What he's saying is, what is the central desire, longing, passion, and love of your life? This is the question of discipleship. What are you loving? 
This is what he's asking of the followers. Because if you're following me, understand I'm going to require of you that that central love is me. This is a question you need to ask. You see, our central love and passion needs to become loving God and loving what He loves. Church, with all my heart, I need you to hear me right now. There are moments in time and out throughout the New Testament, you can see Jesus do this. He has a crowd of people following Him, and suddenly something occurs or He speaks something that thins the herd. You can read about it multiple times. One of the examples is Jesus is speaking about something, and I think it's in John chapter 6, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And the disciples not understanding what he was saying, saying, Lord, that's a hard teaching. Like, I don't want to drink your blood. I don't want to eat your flesh. And, And Jesus is like, you know, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. And they're like, this is crazy. And, and then it says this crazy thing. It says, at this, many of the disciples departed from him. He turns to the 12 and he says, you too, are you going to leave? And Peter says these incredible words, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And he says, you know, by the way, The words that I just said to you are spirit and truth. I'm not talking about my physical blood and my physical body. I'm talking about a spiritual connection of what I'm saying. But how many of you know when we're under pressure, when we're under pressure, when things are coming against us, you know, sometimes we're not discerning what's happening correctly in our lives or in our, in, the, in our midst, and the Spirit of God is trying to get our attention, and He's saying, guys, you need to set in order your priorities of your love and your passion in your life. And so he brings clarity in these moments. We're wondering. <laughs> you know, many people stand at the foot of the cross, and this is an incredible thought. I, I think about this often. Here they are, they've crucified the Son of God, and they start to argue about the clothing that he was wearing, and they gamble for it while they're right at the foot of the cross. How many of you know sometimes we just go after the benefits of being connected to Jesus rather than the deep reality of having him run our lives? It's probably Jesus saying, keep it preaching. Keep preaching, brother. Amen, Jesus. Okay, I'll keep going because of you, Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, guys, I I'm, I'm, I'm just want you to understand we're in a moment at a crossroads. We're in a moment of clarity. We're in a moment in our world today where the Spirit of God is moving, and He's shaking, and He's calling people to understand and discern this moment in their lives and in history. He's calling us back to the great commandment and the great commission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Center your love, center your passion, center your passion on what I love, centered on me, not because Jesus is so egocentric that he needs you to love him. He realizes your only way out, your only path in this hour, the only thing that's going to carry you is if you will center your life on God and what he loves. That's it. And he says, this is a great commandment, the great commission, 
Go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is the hour we live in. I'm with you always, he's saying. Guys, understand these things are the things that God is saying. Center your life on. And what does that mean? Love God. Love your fellow believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love the true self that God is recreating you to be and love this world. Not love the world like I just love boom, boom, the party world, boom, boom, boom. No, love the world enough to tell them the truth that they need to escape the coming wrath of the living God and find the love of the living God. This is what God is saying to us in this hour, church. It's what he's speaking to us. See, love means to will the good of another. <laughs> That's Dallas Willard's definition. I think it's a good one. To will the good of another. Do I will the good of my neighbor? Do I will the good of the person who's vaccinated and the person who's not vaccinated? Do I will the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ? This is what God is calling the church to right now. He's purifying our loves, church. <laughs> you see, what God and what we have hated about COVID, I'm going to just tell you a little secret. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. God has loved it. You're like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How could God love it? He doesn't love COVID but he loves what it's revealing in us. And if you're not understanding that, you are missing the greatest moment of discipleship in your life. Because we need a mirror to show us our misplaced passions and loves. Do you love me, he says. Do you love what I love? This is the question of discipleship through the ages. Hallelujah. Will you acknowledge where you don't love me? Will you acknowledge where you don't love your brothers and sisters? You see, that mirror is not meant to condemn you, but it's meant to set you free. Because when you see how far fall short of that reality, it is simply to acknowledge it before God. Say, Jesus, change me. Man, I don't, I don't even like some people right now. Never mind, love them. Okay. Whew. Come on, pastor, lighten up a bit. Here we go. Oh, it's, this is not light. Sorry, this is, even gets better. Here we go. Okay, so do we love what he loves? Do we love him? This is the first question of discipleship. Jesus is, we're following him. We're following him. He's turned on us and he says, what do you want? What do you want? What are you hungering for? Passionate, desiring. What are you doing? Why are you following me? He's ordering our loves right now, church. And here's the second thing about disciples. Disciples of Jesus understand they don't know everything. Oh, please listen to me right now. I, I've prayed for you. I was up early this morning praying that you would hear what I'm about to say. We live in the information age. 
where knowledge is doubling, <laughs> depending on which person you talk to, weekly, monthly, every three months, doesn't really matter, it's growing. Knowledge, 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 knowledge. And see, we're inundated with information and with knowledge. The problem with humankind is this, we only see in part and know in part. We only have a percentage of the truth and our knowledge and our information. How many of you know, um, just telling you, if 70% of what you're listening to on the internet is true, and 25% is absolute garbage, and 5% is poison, you're just as dead. How, how, how can we furnish our life and understand, you know, we're trying to furnish ourselves with more information. We're saying, if I just have more knowledge, if I just have more knowledge, I'll feed myself with more knowledge, therefore I will make an informed decision. How many of you know it doesn't work? My wife and I have sat down with four doctors who are born again, spirit-filled, love the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not in agreement. And I'm supposed to make a decision. Anyway, you know, God wants you to know something. He knows that you don't know. It's just time for you to wake up to the fact that you don't know. Again, the illusion of control. You say, Pastor Greg, what are you talking about? You don't, this isn't even in the Bible. Okay. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3 says this. I think, yeah, it's there. Thanks, guys. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. We live in a time that is ultra confused. We live in a time where there's absolutely plethora of disunified voices speaking to us, and we think we can disseminate knowledge. If I just have more, if I just have more. I, I, I've told you this in the past, and I say it with utter humility. I get 20 minimum emails a week sent to me. You need to listen to this one, pastor. And you need to talk about this one, pastor. And I say, I don't even listen to him. What kind of shepherd are you? I have a shep I'm a shepherd that is trying to lead the sheep and the wolves are circling and the sheep are biting me. <laughs> Their little teeth hurt sometimes, I'm going to tell you. And I can't get my eye off of God, because here's the good news. By the way, little sheep, you are no match for the wolves that are surrounding you. 
you're not. But the Lion of Judah, (laughs) I speak Jesus. Trust me when I say this, when the sheep get their eyes off of the wolves, off of biting the shepherd and on to the ultimate shepherd, they get their eyes fixed in the right place and they see correctly. And they know how to walk because they're following him. Stop trying to find the answers in this world or the internet of information. You may think you know, but you do not know as you ought to know. Jesus. Let me put it another way. I'm, I'm just taking the time to preach today, guys. I don't, whatever. Guest speaker. I'll be the guest speaker this week. Other pastor, Greg, will be back next week. You're good. I was teaching young adults at uh, Tuesday night. And by the way, young adults, Tuesday night, 18 to 25-year-olds love young adults. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer. It's been amazing. Seven o'clock here. We've been meeting. We finished on the Lord's Prayer. The very last part of the Lord's Prayer this week is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one and from evil. And that word temptation is a very interesting word in the Greek language. It means test. It's the exact same word. Test. And so how many of you know um, all of life is a test? And depending on where you go with that test, it's meant to reveal and refine your character. Now the problem is, the problem is all of life is a test and we are in one of the greatest testing moments of my lifetime and probably most of your lifetimes right now. Test is coming, a test is coming. And here's the test. Will you trust me to lead you through this? That's the test. And what we're doing is we're filling ourselves with every bit of information and we're freaking out and our test is becoming a temptation. And the temptation is this. I don't need you, God. I can figure this out on my own. (laughs) The tests that you are going through are meant to lead you to have a testimony. Not to lead you into not trusting and yielding yourself to God. This is what we're praying. We're saying, God, I'm pathetic. I'm weak. I can't pass the test without you. You see, listen, church. This is so simple. If when you're going through a test, what's coming out of you is anger or fear, you still have a ways to go. Because what's meant to come out of you in the midst of being squeezed by a test is the testimony of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, Self-control, not fear, not fury. Those are not the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. 
And so when I look at my life and when Greg Fraser looks at his life and he's getting squeezed and he's getting bitten by sheep, what comes out of him? I always tell the staff, Thursday Pastor Greg is not as good as Sunday Pastor Greg. Because Thursday Pastor Greg wants to whack the sheep I, I, he's so fleshly, he's so bad. And then he has to pray all the way from Thursday to Sunday, and by then the Holy Spirit says, look at me. Look at me. It's all good. Hang in there. Shake off the sheep and keep going. It's a crazy sermon, I know. I don't know about you, but my temptations, my tests, I don't want them to become sin. I want them to become fruit-bearing moments in my life. Amen? See, church, listen to me. When your knowledge of a something, this is a great statement, when your knowledge of anything exceeds your knowledge of God's ability to handle that thing, you enter into fear or fury. That's why I pray for you every week. That's why I pray Ephesians 1, 17, right? God, give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so they can know you better. God, turn off the internet, God. Help them to know you better, God. Because if they know you better, God, they can walk through any fiery temptation. You're the only hope. I love this prayer. This is from a book. I just copied it. It's called 57 Words That'll Change Your Life. This is a great prayer. Ready for this prayer? I'm just going to read. I, I put it on the internet. Uh, here you go. It says, Father, you know that we can't up, stand up un, uh, under very much pressure. As you lead us to the test, and all of life is a test, as you seek to prove and improve our faith, do not let the test become a temptation, a seduction to sin and turn away from trusting you, but deliver us from the subtle wiles of the deceiver against whom we are no match. Father, rescue us from the evil one. Isn't that a good prayer? Isn't that a prayer you can pray every day? I'm no match for the enemy, Lord. I'm just a sheep leading other sheep, surrounded by wolves. But I see you, King of kings and Lord of lords. I see you, Lion of Judah. Roar, Lion of Judah. <laughs> May my confidence be in you, Lord. Here's the next point. Disciples of Jesus not only love what he loves and don't know everything and know that they don't know everything. Here's the third point. Disciples of Jesus understand they can't change by themselves. They need help. See, you're on a journey of discipleship together, and that's the first thought, is that you're in a community of other people. You think you're independent and your Christianity is independent when really you desperately need one another. When we have conflicts with other believers, we actually think we're totally right. You ever been there? You ever, you ever have a conflict with some, somebody and think, I'm right, they are wrong, and God agrees with me? <laughs> Try that in marriage. 
(laughs) I've literally prayed that prayer to God before. This time, the woman you put here with me is wrong. Deal with her, Lord. He never deals with her, ever, not even once. Do you know what he deals with? Me. (laughs) Oh, Lord. You know the essence of idolatry is when you think God is altogether like you? You know, the Pharisees worshipped a big Pharisee in the sky. They thought he was just like them. And you know what he came and did? He literally pointed them out and said, I am nothing like them. Okay. So if we're in the last moments of history, what's the enemy's plan? He wants to isolate us. He wants to remove us from the pack. He wants to scatter the sheep, have them fight amongst themselves, bite each other, blame, destroy. And that's the one thing we cannot do. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Wow. Church, listen to me. Not even Jesus Christ could carry his cross on his own. You need each other. You need the fellowship of the believers. That's why I told Peter, tell them to watch this online. If they can't gather, tell them to gather if they can gather. We need God. We need one another. See, you're also in a community with the Trinitarian God. Not only with fellow believers, but with the spirit of the living God. And I love this. I didn't put it on your screen, but you can read it yourself. Isaiah 11. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, the spirit of extraordinary wisdom, the spirit of perfect understanding, the spirit of wise strategy, the spirit of mighty power, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of the fear of God. And he will find delight in living by the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Listen to this. He will neither judge by appearance nor make decisions based on rumors. You have a relationship with the Trinitarian God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of all life, and he has placed the Spirit of God within you. You are bulletproof. Come on now. Everything you need for life and godliness is in your relationship with him. You can't change by yourself, church. You need those pesky other sheep. And you need the spirit of God. Well, here's the last point. Thank God we're landing the ship. Here we go. Disciples of Jesus understand that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. That's a quote by a guy named Eugene Peterson. (laughs) I'm just stealing quotes. 
Thou shalt steal is the 11th commandment for the pastor. Church, listen to me. Why, why did I leave that quote up there? Why did I put that up there? Because change is glacier. It's so gradual. My wife and I, when we have really good fights, she always says, you never change. You always do that. And I, I do the same thing to her, so don't, I'm not picking on my wife. The point is, is that <laughs> it takes a long time to become. Isn't that true? If it were easy, you know, it reminds me of a story. And please don't be offended by the story. I, I set that up right now, so just don't be offended. So this Amish couple, if you're Amish, do not be offended. But okay, here we go. This Amish family, they, they have to go to the big city. They've never left the Amish community. They had to go to the big city for this special appointment. And they go to this huge mall, and they're in the mall, and the, the son and, the, and the, the, the father are kind of just enamored. The wife is off at the appointment, and uh, they're enamored by everything. And what really caught their attention was these two silver doors that kept closing and opening. And they're like, what is it? The son asked the father, what is it? He's like, I, I've never seen anything like it. I don't know. And so they see they're standing there watching these silver doors. And then this, this you know, older, portly, older woman comes and she presses a button and the silver doors open. And she steps inside and the silver doors close. And they watch it. It goes up. It's like two, three, four, five. And it pauses at five. And it goes four, three, two, one. And the silver doors open again, and out walks this 24-year-old beautiful woman. And the father turns to the son and says, quick, go get your mother. <laughs> okay. How many of you know, how many of you know spiritual formation is not like that? <laughs> I see the emails working right now. Okay, I, I get it. I, I just had to, I had to share it. Come on now. You see, guys, discipleship is not mechanical. Swap in a part, put in a new part, old part gone, new part in, everything works. Discipleship is agricultural. You have to break hard ground. You have to plant seed. You have to water that seed. You have to fertilize that seed. And it comes out and it grows stronger because when the wind blows against it, the roots go down deeper. And then it bears fruit. That's the kingdom. That's how we have to walk through. You see, there's also, it's discipleship is both relational and organic. But how many of you know there can be some organization to it as well? Organization is not bad. And that's why for the next year, for the next year, this church is going to be walking on a pathway of discipleship. One year. And I guarantee you, if you will commit to this year, you will be different than you were at the beginning of it. You see, we're going to go through three books. I've gone through these books. They were part of my study of spiritual formation. The good and beautiful God will take us right through to Christmas. Then the good and beautiful life until Easter. And then the good and beautiful community until early summer. And this is what you're going to find as we walk through this book. There's a picture I think we're going to bring up. Yeah, this is what is in every book that you're going to read, just the four components, adopting the narratives of Jesus, 
participating in community, engaging in soul training exercises, and living with God's Spirit. That's really the format of the book. You can take the picture down now, and I'll just talk about those four things. Accepting the narrative of Jesus. What, what does that mean? It means that not all your narratives are correct. Part of you being changed is understanding you need your narrative rewritten. The first narrative of the first chapter, the one I'm dealing with right now, the introduction actually, is you cannot change by willpower. That's the false narrative. The true narrative is you need the community of faith, you need the spirit of God, you need soul training exercises. So that's what we're going to engage in, changing our narrative. You know, one of the things we're seeing right now in the midst of the shaking that's going on, we're seeing even our committed and our core are reducing the times that they're present with us in the body or even online. When we need to be the most committed to hearing God's word, the enemy is separating us and pulling us away. We have to fight that. Amen? Participating in community while we've talked about that. The goal here, guys, is that you will join a small group or you as a family will do the book or you as couples or get a friend that you're close to. If you have to go on Zoom, do it, but try and meet together if you can. Just do the book. My wife and I are doing the book because we have to do the book and, and, and because I want to grow and I want to become a greater disciple of Jesus Christ. Don't ignore this moment. You're going to be hearing it every week. We're preaching not from the book, but alongside of the book every single week. So imagine if you're reading the book, you're hearing the word of God on Sunday, you're reading the book, you're entering into the disciplines and the questions, you're connecting with somebody in community to talk about those things, and you're entering into soul training exercises every week for the next 40 weeks. How many of you know that'll change you? By the way, the soul training exercise this week, guess what it is? It's crazy. Sleep. The goal is add an extra four hours of sleep to your week. You're thinking, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, how many of you know that most people are so exhausted they can't even function? How many of you think you could find four extra hours of sleep a week? if you turned off the TV a little easier, if you stopped reading the internet posts on why. And by the way, sleep is the primary spiritual discipline because you are weak and you need God, just like you need sleep. And sleep is a position of rest, which is where you should be with God. Does that make sense? Well, anyway, read the book. God will help you. <laughs> and then live with God's spirit. Church, listen to me very carefully. Last thought. What the church of Jesus Christ is about to discover is that the only thing more costly than discipleship is non-discipleship.
You can invest this year. Say, I'm going to live as a disciple as never before. Or I'm just going to carry on with what I'm doing. How's that working for you? The path of discipleship works in any culture at any time. It works in times of great freedom and even times of great oppression. The kingdom of God, the hidden path, the ancient path works. This is our moment in history, church. There's a life available for all the followers of God that survives and thrives in any condition that the world is in. Amen? We're running late, but why don't we have the band come back? They're like, you should have called us 10 minutes ago. I know. I know. Thanks, guys. Let's sing that Jesus song. Because, you know, any song about Jesus is a good song. Okay? Okay. So here's the question of the very first text I asked you. Will you walk or the ancient path or will you not? Because if you caught that at the end of the text, it said, stand at the crossroads, look, ask for the ancient path and walk in the good way. But some of you said, we will not walk in it. It's your choice. Choose life. Choose to follow God. Choose to walk with his people. Choose to walk with one another. Disciples of Jesus love what he loves. They know they don't know everything. They know they can't change themselves. And they know that they are on a lifelong, lifetime journey in the same direction with God. Let's commit to that together. Why don't you bow your heads for a moment. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor Greg, man, I'm so frustrated by the world right now. I'm so angry. I'm so, and I get it. I, I hear you. I'm with you. I, I'm, not, I'm not one of those guys that's outside of what you're feeling and facing and, and frustrations that are real in your life right now. But the Spirit of God this morning has arrested you. He has captured your attention. He has grabbed you by the face. And he has said, it is time to follow me in a new way, with a new strength and a new fervor. And if that is you here today, will you raise your hand with me and say, Pastor, I'm going to go on this journey together with this church family. Will you make the commitment to say, I'm going to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ and I'm going to follow him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Many, many, many of us are raising our hands right now. And I bless you and I thank you. And if you're watching online, I just pray, make that commitment right now to Holy Spirit in your heart. Say, God, he frustrated me by some of the things he said today, but it's like a mirror being held up in my face. Help me to trust you. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you've never committed your life to Jesus. I believe today was mostly for followers of Jesus. But if you're here and you're saying, and I, I have to follow this Jesus because this world is so broken and there's no hope. If that's you and you say, I want to follow God, raise your hand and give me a wave right now. 
say, Pastor Greg, that's me. If you're online, you can press a button that tells you I made a commitment to Jesus Christ right now. Every one of us has to make that commitment at some point in our life or not. But my prayer is that you will. My prayer is that you will. Let us know that you've done that if you've done that. And if you did that here today or you did it online today, let's pray a prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your son Jesus who died for me that I might live with him and for him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give these people a hand clap today, amen. I encourage you to sign up to get that book, to find some people to do this study with. Whoever it is, join us on this journey for the next year. Amen? Let's stand to our feet and let's sing this song together right now. Amen. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Come on now. Over every heart and every mind. Because I know there's peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Come on now. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Come on, church. Cause your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus come on church cause your name is power your name is healing your name Every stronghold shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Cause your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like I love you, I love you, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Amen. We're going to get through this together. We're going to get through this with God. Go in the grace and the peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. May the joy of the Lord be your strength 
And may the peace of God that passes understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Feed yourself with the word of God this week. Feed and feast on it. Amen? God bless you. Let's give the Lord Jesus Christ a hand clap today. Amen. Make sure you say bye to Mark and Sarah and tell them that they come back soon. Amen. God bless you.